Well, it's awesome to have you guys here. If you do not know who I am, my name is Tim Gellio, pastor uh, inside the youth department here. It's great to have you guys here. You know, the reason we come together is so we can get charged up, right? The other day I had to go get gas in my car. Uh, why do you have to get gas in your car? So it can run. Why do we have to fill it up and fill it up and fill it up? It's because we end up using, because we use the gas, right? It takes gas to work inside the engine to create energy so those wheels move, right? Essentially, that's it. It goes back to the law of conservation of mass and energy. We can't create energy from nothing, so we create energy by burning fuel to move a car forward. Well, just like a car can use, just like a car uses fuel as it goes forward and eventually the tank gets empty, we have to get charged up too because if we try to do it on our own, we'll run out, we'll get empty. So we're here today so that we can get charged up and we can keep going forward. So I want to real quick, go ahead, let's pray, let's ask God to open up our eyes, right? Open up our minds and our hearts so that we can see Him and we can experience Him. We can get charged up and filled up. That way we can go out and be ready to tackle the things that He's got for us. So if you would bow your heads with me, close your eyes, we're going to invite God to work in our lives. Father, we just invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come here and to do a work inside of our hearts and our minds. We want our eyes to be opened to you. God, we want to know you more. We love you, Lord, and we are here so that we can hear from you. We just thank you for this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right. How many of you guys have ever held a two-by-four before? This is a two-by-four. This is a two-by-four. A two-by-four, do, you know, do you know what a two-by-four means? It means it's two inches by four inches, but you want to know something really crazy? A two-by-four is not two inches by four inches. It's an inch and a half by three and a half inches. How messed up is that? That just speaks to how weird wood is, right? You know, it's like, come on, you couldn't measure, you know, two inches, but it's called nominal lumber. Everyone say nominal That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but now you know the word nominal and you sound smart when you're talking about wood. Yeah, I need a nominal two by four. That means a two by four, that's an inch and a half by three and a half inches. Come in different lengths. You can get them in six foot, eight foot, 10 foot, six. Yeah, anyways. Uh, So uh, wood wood is weird. Have you guys ever seen a tree? Anyone in here seen a tree? Uh, If you haven't seen a tree, uh, we could take a field trip to right out in this concourse so we could see lots of Pine trees, right? And actually, uh, when you go and you get a two by four standard, standard two by four is going to be made of pine because it grows fast. It's really cheap uh, to harvest and take care of. Anyways, this is a two by four. Uh, what do you guys see on this two by four? You see like some knots, right? Do you guys see how there's kind of lines that travel this way? Do you see that? You see how there's like lines? They kind of wave through here. Uh, what that's called is that's called grain. Not like grain you eat, but grain of wood. Uh, Everyone say grain. So today's lesson is lumber 101. Uh, Now you know the two by four, and and now you know the grain. No. Um, Grain is super important when woodworking. It's really interesting that every two by four you look at, the lines, the majority of the lines will be going this way and not this way. This is called with the grain. I'm going to say with the grain. And then against the grain. 
It's very interesting. The reason they do that is it encourages the two by four. Have you guys ever been to like Home Depot, Menards, Lowe's, somewhere like that? And you pick up a two by four and it looks like it's being ready to be made into a bow because it's got that much of a curve in it like twisted and bent around and you're like, I need a straight two by four, not one that's like crooked and all that. Well, the reason they cut the lines and they, they do the two by four this way is it encourages it as it dries because two, uh, a wood, when you first cut it, it's wet and then they, they dry it and, and it encourages when it dries for it to stay as straight as possible. So there's a lot of actually technical things that go into uh, lumber and, and woodworking. Well, one of the things uh, that you will tend to do whenever you're working with wood, let's say we wanted to create an uh, entertainment center, or may, let's do this. How about a coffee table or something? You want to make a really fancy coffee table uh, for inside your living room. I can't make a fancy coffee table, but I at least know a little bit about it. One of the tools that you will use will look like this. Do you see this? This has got a flat metal sharp piece on this side, kind of cut you. It's got a little angle at it. And then on the back side, there's this big piece of steel. This is called a chisel. What you would do is you would take this, and if you wanted to carve out a section of the two by four, you would take this, and you might put it into the wood here, and then you take a hammer, and you smack the back of it as hard as you can. Not as hard as you can, but you smack the back of it with, with some force, and what will happen is the energy will go through this and drive this point uh, into the wood. It's called chiseling out wood. It's one of the things you might do. Well, it's really important whenever you're chiseling out wood that you want to pay attention to the grain. Here's the thing. If you take and if you insert the chisel in the right way following the grain, if you follow the grain of the wood, what will happen is it will be really easy to hit it in. But you won't be able to control it as it goes in. The, the chisel will follow the grain of the wood and you may hit it a little bit and it may split a long ways. So it's going to be easy to hit in, but your, your desired outcome will be different than how you intended it, right? So you, what you want to do is you want to do against the grain. You want to do it just right, because if you go the wrong direction, it's going to splinter and, and split apart. Actually, how many of you guys have ever gotten a, a wood splinter? Usually what those are caused by is you rub your hand on wood in some way, whatever it is. I mean, it might not be like this, but you might just move it a little bit or drag your finger. You know, maybe like you're sitting on a deck and you put your hand on there and you go to walk away and you do that, you know. A splinter is usually caused by your hand traveling in the direction of the grain. So it goes in the direction of the grain. And what happens is as you drag your hand, it will lift up a little piece of the wood. And then your energy of coming forward will shove that little splinter into your finger. Those are pain, aren't they? I hate splinters. When I was when I was about your guys' age, my sister, who is four years older than I am, she got probably a splinter in the worst way. Somehow I don't know the whole story, but she got a splinter underneath her thumbnail, like right in there. I mean, just ah, oh, I don't know how she did it. She must have been like rubbing her hand along the. I don't want to. <laughs> I got one now. You know. Uh, but she must have rubbed her hand along the grain of the wood and the, 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 the wood, because it was so easy to go in that direction, it lifted up. And as it lifted up, it drove the, the splinter underneath her hand, underneath her nail. I remember uh, she came in the house and my parents told my brother, AJ and I, who my brother, AJ is two years older than me than, and I'm the youngest. They told us, Hey, go up to your room, turn on some music. So we went up there, turn on some music. And my mom, while my dad ripped it out, quick jerk. Uh, my mom actually held a pillow over her face. So all we heard was muffled screams. 
Uh, but she probably felt a lot of pain because splinters are bad. But here's the thing. With a piece of... Just say, you can do it. Uh, when you travel along the grain, it's easier. But what will happen is things will get jabbed in and splinter off. Because going along the grain of wood is really easy. Going against the grain is a little bit harder. But what happens is, is you can control it more. You don't get in, you don't get pushed and taken in directions with the grain. Instead, you're going against the grain. So the wood's not determining which way you go. You're determining which way you go. That's really important. As you go against the grain, the wood is not determining the direction that you travel. No, you are as the person controlling it. The interesting thing is this. Our world that we live in has a grain as well. And the same thing that's true about working with wood, it's true about living inside this world. If you're taking notes, which I would highly encourage you to do, get out your iPhone, your iPad. If you've happened to upgrade from iPad to Android, go ahead and get that out. That was a plug on Android if you didn't catch that. Okay, Uh, write down this. Today I want to talk to you guys about being against the grain against the grain you see our world has a grain how many of you guys have ever heard the word culture let me let me ask that again because i think how many of you guys have ever heard the word culture okay most of you i think have heard the word culture a lot of times we hear words and we don't really think about defining it so i went and did what every person like you would do that's cool and hip and just google it i'm not cool and hip so i got to copy what you guys do Uh, I just said, Google, what's the definition of culture? And it literally told me, it said, the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. Yeah, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So let's read it again, because maybe if we read it again, we can catch catch her. Maybe if we read it again, we can catch her some of it. No, maybe if we read it again, we can catch some of it. So let me read it, and I'm going to read it twice, kind of slow, and I want you to think about the words. It says, the arts and other manifestations, which is things that are created, things that are birthed out of human intellectual achievement. So people's minds birthing something, and then it says regarded, which is like everyone kind of, agrees and assumes or takes on collectively. So it's a large amount of people that understand and they're really smart and they think about things and they, they look at it and it's the arts and other manifestations. So I, I mean, I really didn't understand that too much. So I was thinking, well, how would I describe Culture. Culture is the way that the world's going. It's the things of this world. It's when you look at movies and music and the way people dress and all this stuff. It's the direction that people tend to travel. I remember when I was your guys' age, uh, skinny jeans were not existent. You couldn't buy a pair of skinny jeans. How many of you guys own a pair of skinny jeans now? Yep. When I was your age, it was not skinny jeans. It was boot cut, which would be kind of tied up here, and then it would go like kind of Bigger at the bottom, not big enough to be bell bottoms. Bell bottoms were a thing of the 70s, and they can stay there. Um, boot cut, big enough to fit a boot over, right? Boot cut, yeah, bell bottoms, thing of the 70s. Um, 
So anyways, you could not find a pair of skinny jeans. It's very interesting that now most of you own a pair of skinny jeans unless you're like myself and you put them on and it just doesn't look right and it's not comfortable. So you decide you're not going to waste the money. I don't want skinny jeans. These are about as skinny. Like these are called straight. I don't know. Straight leg. They don't do anything to it. It's as simple as they can make them. It's probably why I buy them because they're cheap. No, I'm joking. Um, Culture goes in a direction. So when I was when I was your age, you couldn't find a pair of skinny jeans. Nowadays, they're all over the place. It's hard to find a pair of jeans that's not skinny, right? You look at Levi, and they got eighty five thousand different types of skinny jeans. And if you don't like those, here's your one choice of regular jeans. You know, I call them regular because I grew up when there weren't skinny jeans. So skinny jeans are weird. Anyways. Culture moves in a direction in the way that they dress, in the things that are watched on TV and portrayed on TV, in the things that you see in movies, right? You could see that there is a direction that movies have gone. They started in one way, and now they're going in a different way. You look at, like, I Love Lucy and all those TV shows from back then that are played on TV land, because, and now they're trying to redo them or whatever. Those are all kind of similar in style. You know, you used to not be able to see when you went into like some shows, like when they when they were showing the bedroom, they'd always show two twin beds because how dare the people, you know, nowadays, like you can see crazy stuff on TV, you know. Things are completely different and culture is going in a direction. Culture has a flow, right? It has a grain, a direction that it's going. If you're taking notes, point number one, I've got two points today. Point number one is this, counter-cultural. Galatians 5 illustrates this best. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses out of Galatians 5, but it's basically setting up this perspective. If you look, there's kind of like, like there's two TV screens up here, or two projector screens. There's kind of two different ways that you could travel, two different, if I could say, sources for you to live by. One of them might be like this, the, the, the kingdom of God, which is this verse up here portrays really well. And the other one might be, the kingdom of this world. So the kingdom of God, it says in Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of living for God is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says again, such things there are no law. But if we would skip around in Galatians 5 a little bit, Galatians 5.7 says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite to what the Spirit wants. So if that's what the Spirit wants, this is what the world produces in us. Galatians 5.19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, or when you follow the desires of this world, when you go with the grain, when you go with the flow, when things seem easy, this is what's going to be birthed. It's going to be sexual immorality, impurity, lustfulness, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then it says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the the Bible sets up and says there's these two different sources that when you live by, they produce fruit in your life. One of them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. You guys know the fruits of the Spirit, right? One of them will produce that. The other one is going to produce all this other stuff, like like sinful immorality, impurity. Uh, I said sinful, but sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. I, I read this verse... I read Galatians 5, 19 and 
20 and 21, and I think about the top movies right now. Uh, what, are, what, are, what are top movies in the box office right now at Celebration Cinema? What's Ant-Man? I haven't seen that one. I haven't actually. I'm not going to have seen any of these. What are some other ones right now that are big? You don't have to have seen them, but Jurassic World. Jurassic World. The Age of what? Adeline? What? Minions? Minions. You guys are totally ruining it because that... Pixels? What's one more? I couldn't hear you. Oh, you were going to say Pixels. If we looked at the top 10 movies inside of the box office right now, the top 10 big movies that are out right now, I wonder how many of them would have things like sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. These are, these are what makes movies popular nowadays. Have you seen this? If you want to make a popular movie and you have no morals whatsoever, they should have the Bible and they should just grab Galatians 5.19, put it up on a wall and say, how can we fulfill these things? Because that's what the culture, that's what the world is striving for. The world wants these things. I hate when they have movies and they stick messed up stuff in it just to attract people. How many of you guys, I shouldn't ask that. You want to know, you want to know, you want to know a movie that really bums me out? Transformers. You want to know why? Because the idea of it is awesome. These big machines fighting and, and you know, one, trying, one good side trying to save the world, the other evil side trying to take the world. And you got this awesome epic battle and then they stick junk inside of it like sexual morality, impurity, lustful desires. They stick this stuff in it because it, it's the way that the world goes. That frustrates me to no end. It's like, I want to go see this movie. I saw the first couple Transformers and when the next one came out, I said, it's not even worth it for me. It's not even worth it for me because that's not what I want to see. Counter-cultural. We are called to live against the culture, against the grain. If you take a piece of wood and you follow the grain, it's going to be nice and smooth, but you're not going to be able to control it. And eventually it will hurt you. But if you go against the grain... You are the one that's going to control your destiny, not something else. The wood's not, the wood's not going to control your destiny, but you're going to control it. We are called to be different than the world. 1 Corinthians 3.3 in the NIV, the New International Version says, you are, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. And he says, you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling, remember those are two things that are present when you're living for the world, the sin for nature. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you um, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I love that. Mere humans. You're acting like people of the world because there's these two things. If you look at it in a different translation, the NCV, which is the New Century Version, it says, you are still not spiritual because there is jealousy and quarreling among you. And this shows that you are not spiritual. And then it lays it out so clearly. It says, you are acting like people of the world. 
You're acting like people of the world. Paul's looking at the church and saying, stop doing this because you're letting the culture determine who you are instead of you determining who you are. You're following the grain of the culture. You're following the flow of what the culture says instead of being purposed to be different. Instead of being counterculture, he's challenging them. He's saying, he's building them up. He's encouraging them and saying, you gotta, you gotta stand up and be different. How many of you guys have ever been to a river? How many of you guys have ever been to like a lazy river at Michigan Adventures or something? Okay, uh, several years ago, I was in Montana with several of our students in the high school and some leaders. We took just over 40 people out to Montana. We stay at this big resort on thousands of acres. There's a mountain on the resort. Anyways, this crazy place. Well, one day, one day we went mount, uh, mountain hiking, climbing, hiking up a mountain. One day we went to a lake and went swimming. We went uh, rock climbing one day. We did an adventure race one day, which is going out and finding things hidden in the woods and all this stuff. Well, one day, Pastor Samuel, who's leading the trip, decides he wants to take us all tubing. On the, on the camp, on the grounds of the camp, there's a river that goes through. And so we, we get everyone in vehicles, and we head up, and the vehicles drop us off and take off, take off and come back. And we're sitting there, and there is a massive group of people, and then there's a massive pile of tubes. And Pastor Samuel looks at some of us leaders and says, hey, can you help hand out tubes? So we take and give a couple leaders tubes, have them go down first so they can kind of survey. We got about a mile float down the river. So a couple leaders accept us handing out tubes, uh, head down there, and then there's three of us leaders or so back, and we're just handing tubes to students, and it's kind of like grab tube, hand it, grab tube, hand it. There's someone coming, grab a tube and hand it. And this pile's getting smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, there's one student left, and you gra- I grab the last tube and hand it to the last student. And I say, all right, hop in and float down. And, you know, w- what's true with a river is everyone goes the same direction, right? It takes effort to not go the direction that the river's going, right? So everyone's going down, and we see the student going, and I look, and it's Pastor Samuel and maybe another leader and myself. And I'm thinking, hey, Pastor Samuel, when's the vehicle coming to pick us up? As he's stepping into the river. And I'm like, Pastor Samuel, what are you doing? He's like, we get to float. I'm like, float? We need a tube. And he's like, no, we're just going to float. And I see him just lay down, and all of a sudden he's going. And I think I'm standing there by myself thinking, okay. You all know this thing about rivers. They change, right? Sometimes they go fast. Sometimes they go slow, right? Well, we start out, it's kind of nice and slow. The reason it's slow is because it's deep and there's the same amount of water traveling through the spot of the river as it goes. And as it gets shallower, the water has to go through faster so that the same amount of water can go through at the same pace as it was when it was deep. So, you know, it's kind of deep and it's nice and flowing, comfortable, relaxing, thinking this is nice. And all of a sudden, the river starts to pick up speed. Thinking this is fun. and all of a sudden, the river starts to pick up a lot of speed. And, 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 and it's getting shallow. And your butt hits the ground, and you think, whew, that hurt. And then it gets really shallow, like this deep. Pebbles all over the place, big boulders in the river, and we're just floating. See, when you're on a tube, when you're on a tube, it's nice and comfortable, isn't it? You, you just flow over that stuff. You're going with the flow. Everything's cool. When you don't have a tube... You do everything you can to slow down the flow, right? Because you're, I remember just laying like this. 
Because all you're trying to do is keep as little below the surface of the water as possible. And we're like just sliding and, and all of a sudden a rock catches your shoulder blade and you're like, ah. And you're just going and you're just praying, Lord, let it get deep, right? Because, because I'm going with the flow of the river. The river's determining where I go. I remember there was one point where the river kind of splits and there's a rock <laughs> protruding out of the water. I did everything I could not to hit that. Whew, I made it. But I was going with the flow, right? The river was determining where I go. If I wanted to slow down or stop, I had to take action, right? I had to be different than the river if I wanted to slow down or stop. So there are moments that I had to stand up. There was one time when it got so shallow, I'm walking, and your feet aren't even really in water because it's so shallow. But in a tube, you just right over, you don't even notice. Nice and comfortable. But I needed to make sure that I was different because... When, it, when you go with the flow, it can be nice and easy, but you don't determine where you go and eventually you end up hurt. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be shaped by this world. That is profound right there. Let me read that again. Do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to decide what God wants for you. Notice what it's saying. Don't be shaped by the world. Instead, think different. Then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you. Because if you go with the flow of the world, what happens? The world decides what you become, right? But if you go different than the world, if you let God transform you by changing the way you think, then you'll be able to follow the path that God puts on your heart instead of the path of this world. Then you'll be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. I looked up this word in the Greek where it says be shaped, and I can't really pronounce it. It's S-Y-S-X-E-M-A-T-I-Z, however you pronounce that. But I looked it up in the Greek, and I looked at the definition, and I thought it was extremely fascinating. And I'm going to read this, and I want you to think about the words that it's saying. It says, assuming... So this word means assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern. Let me read that again. Assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern. That word pattern can be mold or model. Assuming a similar outward form. I read that and the first thing that popped into my head the first picture I saw in my head was making Christmas cookies. How many of you guys ever made Christmas cookies? I know you've made some Christmas cookies, right? Never? Dude, come to my house around Christmas. We'll make some cookies. First thing I thought about was Christmas cookies. What's the thing about Christmas cookies? What do you do? Let's walk through the process real quick. You make the dough. I don't know how to do that. Rach does that. It's great. So she makes the dough. Then what do you do? You roll it out, right? You roll out the, the sh- let's, let's imagine they're sugar cookies because sugar cookies are so good. So you roll out the dough and what do you do? What do you reach for next? After the dough is nice and flat, what do you grab? A cookie cutter. What does a cookie cutter do? It shapes the cookie. It gives the cookie a shape. And what do you know? Every cookie gets exactly the same shape. Every cookie gets the same shape until you change the cutter. 
every cookie looks exactly the same. I know you guys like challenges like me. So the challenge I always do is how many candy canes can I make at one time, right? Without having to roll it. If I, if I put it this way and then I turn it and then I turn it again, I can get that many that close with using the least amount of dough. So you follow that. But all of them are stamped with the exact same cutter. And every one of them looks identical. Can the cookie dough determine what it looks like? No. Who's determining what it looks like? That cutter. And me, because I got the cutter, right? This verse, the meaning behind this verse is this. Don't be shaped by the cookie cutter of the world. Instead, listen, instead be changed within by a new way of thinking. It's very interesting to me, but hidden in this verse, there's an action that has to take place because if we're not careful, the cookie cutter of the world will shape who we become. The cookie of the world, cookie cutter of the world will determine how we dress the music we listen to the friends we have the movies we watch the way we talk to our friends the way we talk to our parents if we are not purposed in action the cookie cutter of the world's going to determine who you become i think it's very interesting if you look at pop culture and maybe these young rising stars that are cool right they dress one way all of a sudden it flows down and people all across the nation dress that way they say one thing all of a sudden it flows down and people all across the nation do the same thing but the bible tells us that we should be different do not be shaped by this world. Every time you guys read Romans 12 to, I want you to think of a cookie cutter. Do not be shaped by this world. Instead, take action, take heart, and be changed within by a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to determine the way you go. You'll be able to decide what God wants for you. You will know what is good and pleasing to Him and what is perfect. If you're taking notes, point number two. It's called a different source. How many of you guys have ever heard the saying, you are what you eat? Come on. How many of you have heard the saying, you are what you eat? Okay. Uh, kind of true. Not really. If I eat a whole bunch of chicken wings, I do not become a chicken. I can eat as many chicken wings as I want. I'm not going to become a chicken. If I eat cucumbers all day long, I'm not going to become a cucumber. But... But what's behind the saying is true. What's behind the saying is this. What you put into your body determines who you become. Maybe not as much with food and things that you consume through your mouth, but through your eyes and ears. It's huge. The things that you listen to, the things that you watch, the things that you put your mind subject to will determine who you become. And we, as people who are following Christ, as people who desire to be Christ-like, we get connected to God. We get connected to a different source. See, when we're born into the world, we're connected to the source of the world. The world is determining who we are, but when we make a purpose decision to say, I'm going to turn to Christ, what happens is we get connected to a different source. 
We get connected to God. Verbiage that the Bible uses is that we are salt and light of the world. The reason we're like that is we're designed as Christians to be different than the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to make the world taste a little better. How many of you guys like French fries? Where's a good place to get French fries? My favorite place, McDonald's has good French fries, though I think, I don't know if they're actually a potato. Um, I'm not sure what they're made of. Chili's has got some good fries. Yeah. What was it? Yeah, checkers. Okay. Uh, Mine is Red Robin. I love Red Robin fries. Why? Hold up. Why are fries so good? Why are fries so good? They have salt. Do you know how boring a French fry without salt is? It's like a hunk of potato. Who wants a hunk of potato, right? The other day I was making French fries uh, on the grill. I make them on the grill. I put a, a, a baking sheet on the grill and I, just, I, I grill fries. My wife's comment is, make them extra salty. And I said, okay, I can do that, right? Because salt makes french fries taste good. Salt makes something that is normally not so good better, right? It just takes something and it pulls the flavor out and it's just like, oh, so good. Well, you guys are salt of the world. That's what the Bible says. You guys are the salt of the world. That means you take something that normally isn't so good and you make it a little bit better. You take something and just, you amp it up a little bit. You are the salt of the world. But look at what Matthew 5, 13 through 14 says. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Then look at what it says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, or if the salt loses its differentness, how can it be made salty or different again? It is no no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. You are set apart. You are different from the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, if you lose what makes you different, how can you be made different again? The, the, the meaning behind this verse is, is driving that you are called to be different than the way that the world's going. You're called to be set apart. You're called to be opposite maybe of what the culture says but if you don't take effort if you don't put effort behind it eventually what will happen is you'll drift right back into that mold of the cookie cutter you'll hop right back in the river and just flow with the culture because it's nice and easy right because just like this board if i rub the direction of the grain it's going to be nice and easy and feel good but eventually i'm going to get a sliver or something's going to break off and i'm not going to be able to control myself we've got to be different we've got to be set apart we have to work at being like christ and it's going to be hard the other the other day this was like 8 years ago <laughs> Maybe eight or so years ago, I was running a junior high small group. People, people your guys' age, uh, now they're like seniors and graduated. 
But I was running a small group, and I had me, and at this point, I had me and about five guys, and I took me and my five guys. I said, hey, let's go hang out. There was this movie that just came out. A lot of people had said it was really good. I looked up reviews. Everything looked good. But when we sat down in the movie, it was just awkward. Like, there was nothing explicitly bad, but the things that were going on on the screen, they weren't building us up. They weren't edifying. It was humorous from the world's perspective, but for me, I just kind of got a bad taste in my mouth. And as the leader of the small group, I had to make a decision. We can either sit in this movie and watch this and quote-unquote enjoy it, or I can be the one that causes us to all stand up, be different, be set apart. And this was a hard decision. Because I knew if we stayed there, we would fit in. We would look good. But I knew if we stood up and walked out, there were going to be people that see us that might think, what are they doing? Look at those losers. And I had to make a decision. And it was uncomfortable. Mark 13.13 says, Everyone, this is Jesus talking, Jesus says, everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. As I was sitting there in that movie theater, I was thinking, if I stand up, it's going to be a big deal. We're going to interrupt everyone's movie behind us. We got six people just standing up and leaving. And I knew that if we did it, there are going to be some people that don't like it. But I knew that if I stood firm until the end, that we will be saved. Jesus tells us that there are going to be moments in our life where we have a decision to either follow the way things are going and follow the smooth path. And there are going to be times when we've got to stand against it. Have you guys ever tried to stand in a river? It's hard, right? There was one time I was fishing. I was fishing and I had traveled, walked, I walked down into an area of the river because we're standing in the river, it's called waiting. And it got kind of deep all of a sudden and the water was moving fast. And I remember that it's hard to stand there. And there's been times that I fall because the ground's slippery and the water, the force of the water is so hard. And, and there are gonna be times in our life when we've just gotta be purposed to stand still, to stop, to not flow with the culture, to not go with the grain. And it's going to be difficult. This word in Mark 13, 13, stand firm, means to remain, to tarry, to stand strong, and to endure. It takes purpose. It takes a purpose mind. And when the going gets tough, it takes being strong. If you guys would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. With the direction that the world's traveling, with the things that are being done in government, wherever, could be in your school. If you truly want to follow God, there are going to be times when you have to step up against opposition. Jesus was very clear. He said, people will hate you because of me. When those moments happen, you're going to have a decision to make. And you can either follow the way of the world 
Or you could say, God, I want to stand strong for you. So this is what we're going to do. The worship team is going to start playing a song called How Great is Our God. And I want to pray over you. And what I want you to do is I kind of want you to just sit there and be still and be quiet in God's presence and let him begin to work on you. Let him begin to call you to be strong. You know, some of us sitting in here, we hear a message like this and we're like, I got this. I've been, I've been standing in the river. I've been using my strength to go against what maybe people might think is popular. And you've been doing great. And there might be some people sitting in here just reliving things even in the past week or the past months of times when you've just let the culture sway you in a direction and you've been just going with the flow. But we've got to be called to stand firm. We've got to realize that we live for a God that is incredible. So what I would love the opportunity to do is to pray for you right now for strength. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Everybody in here. Father, I thank you that you have called us to be different than the world. Father, And there are times in our lives where we have fallen short, where we've missed the mark. There are times in our life when we've not had the strength and we realize that we do not have to do it on our own, but we can step into your presence and we can ask you for strength. Father, give us the ability and the strength to follow you no matter what the cost. truth is we live in a world that is kind of going crazy. And often throughout lives, we end up at moments that are kind of like decision moments, like big deals. We're all going to have to decide different things in our life. The biggest decision any of us can make is determining what our source is. Are we going to live for ourselves? Are we going to do things on our own? Are we going to follow the flow? Or are we going to be determined to stand different? I know if I could sit down and come up teaching every one of you, some of you would be able to honestly say, I'm following God. I'm following Jesus. He is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's forgiven me for the mistakes I've made, and, and I'm, I'm following Him. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God. So you could say, I am seeking first the kingdom of God. Some of you sitting here might kind of stumble through saying, you know, I've done it before. I've, I've asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but I've slipped. I've fallen away. I've backstepped. I've 
kind of gone my own way. And some of you, if you were honest with yourselves, you would have to say that I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've never done it. Maybe I've been sitting in church for my entire life. Maybe I just started coming. Maybe this is my first time. But I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I've never made a decision to turn away from the things of this world and to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, today I want to offer you the opportunity, if you're either in that second group where you've done it, but you've walked away, or if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you feel God just tugging on your heart this morning, I want to open up an opportunity for you to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that if you believe in your mouth and conf- believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and rose again, it says you will be saved, and it says anyone can do this. So with everybody sitting here with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, no one looking around, I want you just examining your heart right now. Where are you at? Because this is the decision point right now. If you say today, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I want to ask him to forgive my sins. When I count to three, I just want you to slip up your hand. That's the, that's the confessing. That's the believing part. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, when I count to three, if that's you, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise up your hand right now if that's you. Raise them up. Yep, hands going up. Hands going up. This is what I want to do with everyone having their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I want to, I want to say a prayer and I want everyone in here to repeat it. So, Whether you raise your hand or you didn't, repeat after me and say, Jesus, today I choose to believe and turn to you and away from the world's flow. I want to give you my all. I choose to follow you. And I ask for forgiveness of the mistakes that I've made. In Jesus' name, amen.